Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And hi, I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. This week, we're going to go all meta and talk about what it means to start up to last. We started this podcast hoping to promote a somewhat unique philosophy on how to run a business, but we haven't really defined what that philosophy is, so we're going to try to figure that out. But first, uh, let's give some updates. So what have you been up to this week, Tyler? Uh, not much. Well, actually, that's not true. A lot. Um, it's kind of the first real week of the year, sort of, because I feel like New Year's was last Wednesday. So that wasn't a real week. So anyway, really getting ramped up, getting caught up on everything. Um, what kind of a, I, I've got a question. I, we're, every January, things get better in ter- for a SaaS business, right? Things like decline it, around the holidays and then they get better. Oh, but except your, your old business was all insurance renewals, which happens at the end of the year. So maybe you didn't see that. Oh no, like my old business was Janu- January continued what happened in December. So it was like a mm. flat month. And then February was like the end of the world. Interesting. So I think for most SaaS businesses where you're really just selling the software and it's not tied to insurance or anything like that, I think normally Thanksgiving to New Year's is terrible. And then it kind of bounces back. So I every year I'm like, is it going to bounce back the way, like, like what will the bounce back level be? And it's still too early to say, but I'm pretty encouraged right now, so that's good. <laughs> so month to date's better than month to date in December. Oh yeah, yeah, by a lot. And also, like our our free trial pipeline, we have a 30 day free trial, so the results are always delayed by a month, but the pipeline's go you know increasing in size, and all all the stuff that's supposed to be happening is happening. Cool. So we'll see. Uh, around early January, mid February, I'll be able to say more definitively if if it like how big a improvement it is. Um, aside from that, okay, I got a few little updates here. I tried LinkedIn, uh, briefly in order to try and promote this podcast. And then we recently decided to, we, we set our expectations, which doesn't necessarily involve me promoting it on LinkedIn. So I'm done with LinkedIn again. I'm off LinkedIn. And why, why not stay on for other reasons? What I found, so I left Facebook maybe a year and a half, two years ago, something like that. Are you, are you still a Facebook user? I don't want to admit I am after what you just said. Well, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not going to get all preachy and judgy, but okay. what, what I, there are preachy reasons for it. But in addition to that, I found I was just kind of like addicted. Like I would check it all the time and get no value out of it. And because I don't use Facebook, LinkedIn became that. I can't believe I was scrolling through LinkedIn, watching these stupid videos about, <laughs> you know, whatever. And so that's the main, I just realized I was wasting time on it and getting no value at all. LinkedIn is the new Facebook. Yeah. It really is. I mean, well, it's like how- random, like addictive 30 second to 60 second clips or, you know, people sharing too much. Yeah, but it's even, it's kind of professional. So it's even more boring. It's just such a lame social network to be wasting time on. Um, anyway, so uh, I, I made that change. Um We've got a new I have a employee. Question on the, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt. I, I have no, a question right. on the Facebook thing. Uh-huh. Um, I don't scroll Facebook very often. And if I do, I do it very briefly while I'm like, intentionally just to kind of check it out again. Uh, the re- main reason I keep a Facebook account is I do find it useful in terms of catching up uh, with someone's personal life mm-hmm. if uh, I'm reconnecting with them or I want to reconnect with them. And 
rather than having to set up a new Facebook account every time I want to do that, I just keep it. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But I but I I recently followed followed uh, that David guy from uh what what's the ba- base camp? Yeah, David Hennemeyer Hansen. Yeah, I don't know how to say his name. But he is a ranter, man. And oh, yeah. I, I'm not sure if I can handle it because he's like talk he's like encouraging the world to fire Facebook right now. Oh and, yeah. Well he's, and fire he's been Google. Doing that. And yeah. And uh but it's like I don't really get why there's this like if there's utility in Facebook, why not just use it for its utility? Why is there this why why is why are we even have this conversation about quit like leaving social platforms like we leave people in a marriage? Uh, I want to answer my take on that, but I think that's actually going to relate a lot to our topic today. So let's save it. Okay. <laughs> I was actually going to bring up DHH, David, the guy you're talking about as an example. So l- later on in the discussion. So uh, let's talk about that later. Aside from that, though, we've got a new employee starting next week. This was, was it last week or two weeks ago? We talked about employee onboarding. So I've been taking what we talked about in that episode and preparing for this person to start. And I don't think it's going to be like super radical changes, but specifically the the part of onboarding that's like about company philosophy and values and culture and stuff. I'm going to frame the way we described last week. A lot of the other stuff will stay how it was, but I think that's often a good good way to make decisions. You brainstorm as if like the whole world's going to change and you do these big sweeping changes. And then you just pull back and say, let's take a few little good ideas from that and otherwise not rack the boat too much. And let's just, let's just see what happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll find out starting next week how that goes. Um, and then the final thing, just another update on a previous episode. We talked at, uh, at the end of last year about uh, redoing the Less Knowing Serum marketing site. And so I've kind of confirmed with this freelance designer that we're going to be doing it. He's going to start, I think, tomorrow. Uh, so it'll it'll be a process, but um, the redesign starts tomorrow. Can you say who you're using? Uh, yeah, I'm going to... His name's Shreyas. I'm going to... I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Um, we, we've mostly just communicated over uh, email, but uh, yeah. he. It's actually one of the few cold emails I've ever... Uh, not few. It's the only cold email in my entire life I've responded to, and he actually got a, a consulting gig out of it. He did something right. Yeah, it was great. I mean, you get all these cold emails. I assume you get these all the time with like, hey, Rick, I loved your article about, and then they just pasted the title of something in like, will you buy my shit? <laughs> uh, but he actually, I think, yeah, I mean, he, he at least sometimes listens to podcasts, might be listening right now, but he was like, I listened to you. I like your themes about this. Here's how it applies to me. And then like saying, I think that I can take that and actually, you know, be an effective designer for Less Annoying Serum. So I've, I think literally never in my life res- even responded to a cold email before. And that was the one. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, that that's it for me. Uh, what's going on with you? So this is the first week since we had the episode about uh, c- consulting on the side. Um, mm-hmm. when you launch a venture, what, what should you consult on the side or should you work full time or should you just focus on your ventures? And so this is the first week where I focused on how I'm going to fill the budget gap for leg up ventures, which was, which is 60 K for the year. For those of you who hadn't listened to the, to the podcast. Um, but this was like a, man, I had to, I had a whole day blocked to review, think about like, how do I want to position myself and what, what type of situations do I want to, what outcome do I want if I'm 
if I'm going to be spending time on something, man, it was very, very, um, like negative. Like it was like a realization of, Oh man, I've got to start working for someone else again. <laughs> and I, I kind of went through a couple of change cycles this week. I'm in a really good place now, but I started off just, it was just like, wow, man, this is going to be hard, but I've, I've broken it down a little bit into sizable chunks and, um, I've already started having some conversations this week, which once you, I think once you get to just acting on things, a lot of times when I have anxiety about something, I, I get to thinking about it, which is good. You have to do that. And then I usually break it apart, but I don't actually feel better until I actually act on whatever I've come up with. So just having, I just got off a call with someone that might turn into something, might not, but it uh, just feels good to like talk to someone and, and feel like maybe I have some worth to mm-hmm. other another human, <laughs> another company kind of thing. How'd you uh, like start those conversations? Are these just people you knew and you, you kind of emailed them and stuff like that? I just forced myself to reach out to some people and this person I did not know. Um, so you just, I just called what emailed called what I, well, I emailed someone who knew this person and said, Hey, can you introduce me? And that set up a call. So, and it happens quick when you get introductions because yeah. people, you know, people take those seriously. So, um, I think, uh, just, I, I went through the full cycle this week and I, I can't wait to, I'm exhausted as a result. Um, but I think that if, if I can just get through this weekend and, and start executing next week, a month max and I'll, I'll have this problem solved. Awesome. Well, yeah, I've thought before, like after 10 years of not having a boss, going back to working from someone would be tough and yeah, got to do it though, I guess. <laughs> yeah, got to do it. Got to do it. So um, the other thing I'm working on this week is getting appointed with insurance companies for leg up health. This is going to allow me to receive commissions uh, for the users that I serve through leg up health's platform. I, man, I am just completely amazed at how complex and paper-based the whole broker commission system is. And there are these like strange contracts with different levels. It's basically a multi-level marketing. Yeah. Uh, fun- like function. And I think the insurance companies do it so that they can be like, Oh, the broker said it did this, but we didn't. Mm-hmm. And they have this like way to deny claims. And it's, and so there's all these like levels built in with different commission counts and everyone's trying to like get you to sign up for their contract. Once you sign up for their contract, these third-party contracts, it can have pretty meaningful consequences, negative consequences. If you want to go be have a direct relationship with the insurance company, so I am I am uh, I, I'm getting hit with complexity that I wasn't expecting. I thought this was going to be like, hey, I'm going to call up an insurance company. I'd like to be a partner with you and sell your product <laughs> in a way that's mutually beneficial for us both. That's not what's happening. Hmm. And then that's- finally. Go ahead. Well, well, I was going to say that's interesting, but I feel like with whatever you end up doing, a competitive advantage for almost any business I see you starting is like you're pretty good at like forcing your way through like nonsense that everyone hates, including you probably, but like you can put up with it better than most. So it's sort of a moat once you get on the other side of it. That's a good point. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, yeah. And I should say that the, while it's frustrating, it's also, making me happy. It's validating that there's a lot of like pointless complexity, Mm non-consumer value adding complexity, um, that if I can break through simplify for 
myself and then simplify for the consumer, I'm going to have some sort of advantage at the end of the day. Um, The other thing I'm working on is uh, Group Current has um, put out a, a, I don't want to call it a survey. I'm pretty anti just let's put surveys out to users, but Group Current for Panda Labs, our community in Park City, we are trying to engage our member our members in more continuous feedback loops on how we can add more value for the membership um where we're falling short on our value proposition those kinds of things and so i just asked one we, i just sent out um via an email to each person like if you could just answer this one question that'd be really helpful and so i'm cycling through those and following um following uh up with ans- following up on answers to get clarifications Mm-hmm. It's basically like a micro mom test almost with each user around one question. And the question is, if we could add one thing in 2020 um, to, you know, to increase the value you get out of your membership, what would that one thing be? And I'm not so interested in the first answer. I'm interested in the why behind the, mm-hmm. the answer. So it takes a couple of iterations to get to it, but it's, um, it's been really valuable in terms of where we need to go with, with the, with the uh, community. Cool. I love qualitative surveys or whatever you want to call them versus something like NPS. I mean, we do something like it, but where you're just like on a scale of one to 10, you don't learn anything from that. But if you're just like, here's a text box, type something into it. Uh, some people leave it blank, but a lot of, I feel like the feedback you get from that is huge. Oh yeah. And it, it and it leads to so many other questions that you can yeah. get feedback on. And it starts to, I, I want, I, I like feedback to be conversational. I don't like it to be one way to like, transactional almost. Um, so I don't know how I'm going to scale this with group current because it's definitely not a, something I could do every month, but, um, it's been, it's, it's very valuable right now, um, for what we want to do in 2020. Cool. Um, awesome. So, uh, how about the topic for today? Yeah. So last week I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to talk about this topic, but, um, I just decided that, that, we should we should just dive into this and i don't i haven't prepared nearly as much as i wanted to for this topic um but um, i think it's important for us to go ahead and have the conversation see where it goes this might be like really hard this could either go really well and lead to some interesting insights or it could just be us babbling for 30 to 40 minutes um but i want to the topic is what does it mean to start up to last so our, our podcast name is startup to last. We worked through some names to figure this name out. And and we when we came to this, we were like, oh, that's it. And we didn't spend a ton of time going into why is that the right name? We just kind of agreed on it and we're like, yeah, that represents something more than just any name. And I think a lot of our conversations have a slightly different slant than just 100% pro bootstrapping or 100% VC. And I think that Startup to last encompasses that. And so what I want to explore today with you is I want to explore what does startup to last mean to us. And I'm hoping that we could be very different on this, but I'm I'm hoping that we can pull out some of the things that we're aligned on mm-hmm. that you know are the key, let's go just call them principles of how we think about business um, as entrepreneurs. And maybe we this will allow us to tie back to you know expand on those principles in future episodes and tie topics back to those principles so that we have a more consistent theme with our podcast. 
And just for if a listener's thinking, why should I listen to this? There were two reasons. We were going to have this conversation not on the podcast, and there were two reasons I think we wanted to. One is this type of discussion should be had at any business, right? What what are you about? What's the point of like, what are you doing? And so, I mean, you may not care what we end up with for Startup to Last, but maybe there's something to be learned about the process and the, you know, the journey getting there. The second thing is, like you said, whatever we come up with, that's going to be a theme that we keep hitting on here. And it, the idea isn't for us to just know what the podcast is, but for us to, for everyone who listens to this to be able to benefit from a set of philosophies about how to run a business. Absolutely. And right now, I think they're somewhat unspoken between us. Um, mm-hmm. And if we can, like today, like if we could cut, leave with uh, the beginning of uh, attempting to articulate those and standardize those, um, I think that would be a big win. So some context, um, Tyler and I both have unique experiences with a VC-backed company, actually the same VC-backed company in Park City, Utah. Um, and what, ironically, we both, um, after that com- VC company failed, we were in a situation where we had to work together as a team to use the existing resources at the company, which was not a lot. We had three months cash flow, three to six months cash flow runway, and turn that business into something remarkable. And then Tyler, on top of that, left and started his own company and bootstrapped that from, from the very beginning. So, um, we both have experience with bootstrapping. I, I've been constrained to a bootstrapping a VC, a previously VC-backed company, which comes with its own constraints and issues. Um, and it has limited my ability to really think through a company that I've started and to last. Um, yeah, you but, didn't so get you, any of the benefits of bootstrapping. You had all the constraints. You didn't have the money, but you also had a board of directors full of VCs. So you kind of totally. have the worst of both worlds. <laughs> yes, yes. And so I think... Um, I think you're way ahead of me on thinking about this from your own business perspective. Um, and I'm quickly catching up now that I'm, I've left people keep and we've started these conversations and I'm, I'm exploring you know, different, different ways to think about my startups. But um, both of us, I would say are fans of bootstrapping, mm-hmm. right? Especially in the early days. And maybe, maybe you're going to be, we'll, we'll, this, we'll explore this, but maybe you're going to be a little bit further on the bootstrapping side. I, I, I think capital has its place. Um, you are, uh, um, let's see, I would say, so I guess what I, what I would say is maybe we can start with a question um, and I'd like to direct it at you and maybe I can piggyback on some of your answers to this. When I say, when someone says to you, I want to build a startup to last, a company to last, what does that mean to you? Well, first of all, we picked a different name at first, which was sustainable startups. That's what the, if you go back to episode one and hit play, it'll go, welcome to sustainable startups. And the reason we didn't like that is because sustainable also has like environmental, like we thought people might think we mean like green startups, which not that we're against that, but that's not what this is about. Uh, So that's the first thing I'll go to is I think a startup that's meant to last is one that's sustainable. Um, and that means like a whole lot of stuff. But if you, if you look out at the advice out there for startups, normally the advice doesn't acknowledge the goals. 
You might, someone might be like, here's what you should do to improve your marketing, or here's what, here's how you should hire people. But it never says like, what's the, what's the outcome you want? Implicit in all of that advice is you want to exit. You want to sell this company in five to 10 years and move on to your next startup. Almost all the startup advice, whether they say that explicitly or not, that's the assumption. And as a result, a lot of the advice is bad because the rules change if that's not the case. So to me, um, startup is like a startup to last is about talking about the ways to run a business in this different set of rules where you have an almost unlimited time horizon. It's not about exiting. It's not about selling the business. Maybe you'll do that. I'm not saying no one should ever sell a business, but like if you actually care about the long-term outcome of the business, how does that change things versus if you're really just fixated on this exit event? So it's, it sounds like it sounds like starting up to last is the outcome versus mm-hmm. starting out out to exit. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely and like I think one of the reasons this is so rare to hear about is it's not entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is starting a business. I would say being an operator is running a business that's already started. And so starting up to last is both. It's start something new and continue running it. And like I get why so many people don't want to like if you're if all you like doing is starting things, you don't want to keep running it, but I have to believe it's not just you and me that have both that that want to start it and operate it long term. Yeah, and I, I I think a startup to last company is some a company that is focused on building to last. Um, I I kind of like the startup to last mindset as some as, as hey, this is an infinite um, this is an infinite thing. The I, I recently uh, have been reading about finite and infinite games, and there's a you know a finite game is is built to win uh mm-hmm. exiting like if, if the game is i'm going to be the first of my peers and we all agree that this is the game uh to exit um then i'm going to build a company to exit on that and maybe the maybe the game is i'm going to have a higher net worth than you mm-hmm. that that's that's operating off of shareholder returns my own return that sort of thing um whereas the start to last mindset is is more of a it's almost like an infinite mindset. And I'm, one thing that you said that I want to explore is the, you said an almost unlimited time horizon. And I, and I would argue that that start to last requires an unlimited time horizon mindset. It's generational. Uh, it's, it's a generational mindset. This is something that's going to last after you die. It's not even just a lifetime um, or it, it's not limited by time. It's starting up to endure and sustain itself forever. Yeah. I buy that. Yeah. And so, um, what does that mean in terms of how you think about us, the company like that totally, I think most probably changes the entire constraints under which you operate under a, a, a finite situation. The constraints are different. The goals are different. The, like everything about the business. I I've referenced this before in the podcast that with less knowing CRM, I often look at it and I'm like, I'm bad at all these things in the classical sense. I'm not good at a lot of the things the CEO is supposed to be good at, and yet the company's working. Why? The reason is because the company's working according to a totally different set of rules. So how do? How, what's the best way to explore those rules? Is it, should we start with how most businesses work and the constraints that they operate under, or should we just start laying out uh, the rules under which a startup to last, or maybe the rules under which you operate as a startup to last company? Yeah, I'm 
if you're willing, I'd be interested in you taking lead on this because I'll just tease. A lot of my answers are going to be based on not having shareholders to impress. That's why I think bootstrapping is so important here because as soon as you have other shareholders, their interests are at least mixed with yours or in most cases take priority over yours. And so it's not like even if you're in it to last, they, they may not be. So that, I'll just tease that that's like the common theme that I'm going to keep bringing up. But what do you think? Because you're not as opposed to raising money as I am. Like what are, yeah, so I'll just point that exact same question back to you. What are the constraints that are different? Like how does a normal business operate and how does, how can we operate differently? Yeah. So the, the example that I'm thinking through right now is at PeopleKeep, I think that I was, that was a finite company. I think that for, and I didn't see it that way. I think, I think that the, the, I was not majority shareholder. I came in after the company had been started. There was no majority shareholder, which means multiple parties had to agree to get something done. The mindset of the majority of the cap table, a capitalization table or the shareholders was we need to exit. We need to sell. Yeah, that's the uh, mindset of almost every venture capitalist. Yeah, and I don't want to say that all. I think almost every is a good qualifier. It's like that is the VC game, most likely. What what I remember as I look back to people keep, I I think that I didn't realize that I was play, like should be playing that game. Yeah, and yeah. I actually tried to build the company with this start to last mindset, and I I guess. I, I kind of think of start to last as more of a mindset now, now that I'm talking out loud that could be applied in a lot of different situations, whether they're shareholders or not. Um, but if the mindset isn't shared by the shareholders, then mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Um, I don't think. Well, and you said something really important, which is like you were playing this game, but you didn't realize it. So I definitely don't think it's a good idea to force the startup to last mindset on any business. It's important to understand what game you're playing and play it. And, you know, in a different universe, I could have at some point changed my mind and wanting wanted to raise money or something. And if I did that, I shouldn't be doing any of the stuff I'm doing, right? And so, and so part of it is if you're not playing the infinite game realize that. But also part of it is if you want to play the infinite game, understand that every decision you make, you have to maintain forever, especially irreversible ones. Like you always say your cap table is your culture. You can't remove, well, you can't easily remove someone from your cap table. So as soon as you do that, I think, I I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like, well, I'm going to just raise this seed round from a, you know, venture capitalist. And then I'm going to go like, once I get my bearings, I'm going to start acting the way, doing what I want. And it's like, nope, they're already on your cap table. It's over. And not that it's, you can't succeed, but you'll have a different definition of success at that point. Yeah. And you've made some promises probably that you're going to have a hard time just moving on from if you're a yeah. decent person. Now, can I, can I talk about, um, I don't want to make this whole thing about venture capital, but for, for people who aren't familiar with the model, can I just explain a little bit about why they have to exit? Um, in theory, a venture capital fund could work differently from this, but the normal model is venture capitalists are not investing their own money. They're investing, they go out and get their own investors called limited partners to put money into the fund. And then the venture capitalists take that money and invest it and then have to return it to the limited partners at some point. And generally speaking, there's an expectation that that return happens 10 years after the money's raised. 
there you could have a bunch of really valuable companies in your portfolio, but if none of them have had an exit event, none of them are selling or going public or anything like that, you can't return your money to your shareholders and it's a failure for you. So th- there's wiggle room with all of this. There's different scenarios and different stuff. But generally speaking, as soon as you raise money from a VC, you're saying, I'm going to exit within the next 10 years or you're going to consider me a failure. Yep. Do you, do you agree with that characterization? That, that, I think VC as a, like, I think there's a lot of VCs out there who call them VCs, but they don't play by the, those rules, mm-hmm. but they probably should be if they're calling themselves VCs and they're, but they're really not VCs. Like they're, they're playing to, the, the idea is you're trying to find the, the company who's, who's, who is, requires a lot of, um, it's a bet. Like it's not this predictable business. It's something that, Hey man, this is an idea. And it's a one in 10, one in a hundred shot. But if it, if that were to work, it's huge uh, in terms of return and valuation opportunities. On the other hand, if, you know, those, you know, if you're, if you're doing one, if you're looking for that one out of 100, you got to make a hundred bets <laughs> yeah. to, to get that one that wins. And so that's, I think that's the VC game as it's like when, when, when you talk about VC, that's what you are. You should be referring to, and that's how I'm. I think we should define it for purposes of this conversation. There are other type of investors out there who play with the same confines of I have limited partners. I need to return money over some time horizon, whether that's five years, ten years. That aren't playing the VC game. They're playing an investment game that is, um, you know, around placing let this you know same amount of bets, but with lower potential. When, you know, returns across the same number of companies. Yeah. Lower risk, lower return per win. Yes. Right. So, and that's generally, there are other types, but private equity is normally what that's good. I know venture capital is technically a subset of private equity, but if you say private equity, normally I think what you mean is it's this big financial company that buys other companies and just runs them profitably and makes money off that. Yep. Right. Yeah, that's one one way of thinking about it. There's 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 also companies who private equity companies who will make a minority investment. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, but so I, I guess I would classify them all as investors um, with the goal of returning money, uh, you know, to some other investors that they borrowed money from. Well, so or, yeah, and let's define. So that whole category I think would be called institutional investors. Mm-hmm. An institutional investor is somewhere someone who. They are not investing their own money. They're investing someone else's money. Those people are the ones I'm primarily talking about when I talk about how broken and toxic the system is because in the history of the world, almost all terrible acts are done on behalf of someone else, right? It's someone saying, I I have a clean conscience because I'm working for someone else. I have to get them their returns, and so I'm going to do whatever I need to do. This is why private equity firms just buy companies and ruin them all the time. There's a different type of investor that's investing their own money like an angel investor, they could be greedy assholes, but they could also not be. It's it's totally up to them what they do with their money. And so it's a lot harder to like pigeonhole that type of investor. Yeah. I think what we're, we're dancing around is the topic of stakeholders, who is the stakeholder of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more, yeah, it's interesting. Um, when you are the sole owner of the business or you control the business, um, your stakeholders are simpler they are customers. They are employees. Um, there's probably government. Um, you know, there's local constituents, um, stakeholders. Um, there's, you know, it's. But then you bring in other people around the cap table, and maybe like the first degree of simplicity is 
is people who are investing their own money, mm-hmm. right? Well, mm-hmm. you know, and then, then you bring in someone who's investing someone else's money. And all of a sudden now you've got like multiple degrees of stakeholders that ultimately you're going to feel the whiplash from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so this gets, I realize we're probably going to bounce all over the place. One of the topics here is what are the advantages of a startup plus company? And that really gets to one of them for me, which is I think the both simplest and most effective way to run a business is to just play the game of aligning everyone's interests. Just if everyone is aligned, all the stakeholders, the customers, the employees, the founders, the investors, if everyone's aligned, everything else is easy. And the really, really stressful, hard, dramatic situations that come up in startups are almost always because people get misaligned. And so I think running a startup to last is all about that alignment, putting yourself in a position where you can be aligned and then keeping things easy. And the easiest way, in my opinion, to stay aligned with everybody is to give up a little bit of the pie that you didn't need to. If you charge customers a little bit less, you pay employees a little bit more, everything else about the business gets wildly easier. So interesting. So you're, so you're basically saying instead of focusing on maximizing shareholder value, which leads to maximizing uh, some valuation metric, whether that's profit or revenue, you focus on maximizing stakeholder alignment. How does that, how do you do that? How do you know that if you've done that or not? I've, I've always just used intuition. Like once again, if you keep things simple and you have a small group of people, it's just like know who they are and know what they want. Um, but it'd be easier just to say like at the end of the day, like a, a business is in there one stakeholder that's most important or is it all stakeholders that have to be aligned? I guess, I guess like it seems like VC, like and it seems like what we're what start to last is not is placing the shareholder as the primary stakeholder. Yeah, exactly. I like, know it's not that. You but can. What is it? Let's ma- let's make a really simple model of the world where everything's a zero sum game, and it's like there is a pie, and it's getting split up between all the stakeholders. And you can almost simplify it to think of as a founder. You can trade like there is a direct correlation between stress and money, where. You can have more money and more stress or less money and less stress, and you can decide. Now, it makes sense for a company that isn't built to last, or at least where you're not going to run it for a long time, take the stress and the money because it's like temporary, right? If you're go- if you're like three to five years from now, I'm going to be out. Uh, you can justify all... Ki- I think you did this at PeopleKeep. You can justify all kinds of really intense, stressful situations and be like, this is temporary. But if you're like this is the situation I'm going to be in for the rest of my professional life. You make very different decisions and you're like, I don't care about as I still care a little bit, but I don't care as much about what the company's worth. I care a lot more about what my day-to-day life is like. So that's something interesting that you said there. There's two parts. Um, one, I don't want to make sure I want to make sure we dive into is the idea of continuing to work, running the company as if you're going to be there forever. Is that a, is that a, I mean, I feel like you could build a start to last company without having necessarily expecting to be working there for the rest of your life. Yeah. But, but I guess it sounds like there's something special to the mindset of that, that causes you to make different decisions. So like, if you imagine that you are going to be working at this company, having a start to last mindset is basically requires you to imagine working at this company that you're, that you're working at for the rest of your life. And with that constraint, what what does that change about how the decisions that you make? 
Yeah. And you're right. Yeah. You may decide 15 years from now, you know, I'll just hire someone else to run this business or you could sell it or whatever. But imagining it as if you're going to be there is probably a good framework. Yeah. Is there an argument to be made that that start that this type of mindset actually in the long run beats a, the other mindset, the shareholder return mindset? Beats it certainly does according to some measure of success. But uh, do you mean like in terms of valuation or something like that? Yeah, I guess that's a, it's not a competition, is it? Right. <laughs> that's what this comes down to. So, what is um, why? If I'm a if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm going, man, I want to start a company, and you've got Tyler over here preaching about start starting up to last. You've got the indie hacker crowd talking about how you should never hire employees, solo entrepreneur crowd, and then you've got the independent startup crowd going, never raise money, and then you've got the VCs saying this is the best way to go. What what why should why is starting a company to last better? Mm-hmm. Why why is it the best? approach. Is it the best approach? Well, not for everybody. It's the best approach for me. I I've I hadn't I did a lot a decent amount of thinking about this stuff and this what I'm about to say is not one of the things I thought of, so I'm ad-libbing here, but when you say that, something that stands out to me is there's a big difference between somebody that gets a sense of personal satisfaction from their work versus someone who doesn't. Um, and it's it's not that one's better than the other, but for example, like on one end of the spectrum, you've got a lifestyle business where it's just, I need enough money to to live the life I want to live. I don't care how I get it. I just want to work as little as possible, make the money. You've got another type of person like that, which I would argue is what most venture-backed founders are, which is I want to be a billionaire. That's what I care about. In both cases, they're not doing it because they love going into work every day and doing the work. There's a a lot of people though, like I don't think most humans would be happy just like sitting on a beach drinking pina, pina coladas, like retired, right? People need stuff to do. It could be a hobby. It could be family. It could be whatever. But if one of those things or especially the main thing that you want to devote yourself to is work, that's a pretty strong argument for the startup to last approach, I think. What you're really talking about here is it totally depends on the person's motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the, if the motivation is to make money, perhaps play the VC game and make that bet. But I, what I'm trying to explore is it's, it seems like what it takes to build a startup to last company actually makes a company, the special company creates the special company anyway. And maybe that's a better way to make money like is start yeah. like is this startup to last concept as we explore it? And I know it's still very much a, a, a kind of a an undefined philosophy. Is it something that maybe your motivation is money? Even if your motivation is money, you should start up to last because ultimately it will make more money. It will outperform another company. I see a lot of parallels here with. Um, discussions about diversity in corporations where there's two schools of thought. One is the reason you should care about diversity is because you will make more, you'll hire better employees. It's kind of like a money ball thing. And then a different group of people saying, whether that's true or not, who cares? You should do it because it's the right thing. We've got the same two questions here, I think. 
I'm of the opinion that for many people, this is the right route, regardless of whether it maximizes, it, it needs to provide some money. Like you can't ignore money, but if that's what your primary motivation is, I don't know. You could make the argument that it's the best way to make money, but I, I think I'm skeptical of that personally. Is it the right thing to do? I think so. So would you say that playing the VC game is the wrong thing to do? Uh, the world is not black and white. And so like, I know a lot of people who have raised money from venture capitalists, yourself included, who I don't, I don't think you're unethical or anything like that. So I, I'm not going to say it's the wrong thing to do, but it is not the rightest thing to do. I don't think. I and think right, that, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm to, to get a little like quasi political here. I'm probably surrounded by a lot more uh, like liberal snowflakes than you are myself. And I'm calling myself a liberal snowflake here, but um, a lot of people in younger generations are really anti-capitalism right now. And I'm not sure I'm going to go that far, but the current version where it's just capital, the the richest people just extracting wealth from the poorest people with no regard for anything other than returns is bad. And venture capital leads to publicly traded companies. The, the current version of capitalism is terrible, I think. And there is a healthy version of capitalism that isn't terrible. And I think that's what starting up to last is. It's running a business that is profitable, is making money, but it also has a conscience. And it's not just about return for shareholders. When you say it has a conscious, what, what do you like? What, how does that play out? What are the dimensions of that? Well, I, I think the key thing is, and this is once again goes back to maintaining control of the company and like what you do with raising money. Less annoying CRM's decision making at the end of the day is my decision making. I mean, me and my brother, we're, we're 50 50 owners. So the two of us combined, as long as we can agree on something, if we have values, if we have preferences, the company inherits those preferences from us. The bigger a company gets, or it's not about size, but the more shareholders there are, the more removed you are from that, where it's at that, at some point, you're just like the company has its own goals and it's just to make money. And no individual person, even if every individual person at the company is like, quote unquote, good, the company still might do lots of bad things because it's profitable. So what do you think it, about that? I mean, what I'm going to is it feels like you can't, you might can maintain a startup to last company without owning a majority of, your, of the company and controlling the company, but you can't guarantee it. Yeah, I, I think there are models to do it, but it's not having a bunch of VC shareholders. Like an employee co-op could potentially work, but so I'm not. It doesn't have to be like one dictator owning the whole thing. But you need some way to allow human like compassion to act. Like everything doesn't have to have an ROI to it to justify doing it. Basically, yeah. I guess how do you make that last? Outside of, is there any way to make that last outside of being a dictator or having a couple of people that you that are basically have shared the same goals of startup to last? I think there are companies that are kind of like employee co ops and stuff that it, it basically turns into a democracy, which is probably not as effect effective as being pure about a vision as a, a monarch, but. It's probably a lot better than whatever 
a publicly traded company is like it's it's something else entirely yeah i, I don't know i'm I have no I'm idea. kind of think of the United, like the United States, as an example of an organization that was started started up to last, um, and it's I mean it's lasted, yeah, uh, but it's not it's not the most effective. I mean, it's pretty effective, I guess, as an organization, but no single person can go like, "Hey, I'm going to change the way that this operation." works well i'm i'm talking very much out of theory here but like bracken and i have discussed what happens when we're ready to retire and we don't have any decisions made or anything but the current leading contender is something like uh, employee co-op might be the wrong word i'm not well read on this stuff but basically there is like right now we have a dictator because it's like if you can trust the dictator that's good but if you can't then you'd prefer an ineffective democracy over an effective evil dictator right so the plan is let's take advantage of the dictatorship for as long as we can because maybe this is arrogant, but I trust myself. And then when the time comes, go go to the democracy. Interesting. This is getting like way ahead of ourselves here. Obviously, yeah. maybe we should back out. But yeah, I want to back. I want to back out of this and go to. Let's say, um, like I'm thinking right now about how to start up to last with leg up health. Um, what are when I think about stakeholders, I've got these. I mean, I, I talked about them earlier, the insurance companies, mm-hmm. I've got the users, I've got potential part-time employees that I'll bring on at some point. I've got, um, I have no investors, but potentially I could bring on investors. Is there some sort, like who is the stakeholder? It feels like I'm the stakeholder that I need to, to, fo- prime, to focus on first. Like what's going to mm-hmm. make me, it's almost like, I think I should think about what's going to make me happy working at leg up forever. And then I look at the other stakeholders and align those interests to my own. So I'm almost, it's almost like I'm the most important stakeholder. Right now you certainly are. And then I think when you bring on stakeholders, you make sure that they want the same thing you want, but then you have an obligation to consider them also very important stakeholders, but that shouldn't be a problem because you're all aligned. I think. Okay. So I think that's great. What happens when what, what what is the reason for falling out of alignment in these situations? Have you experienced that? Mhm. Yeah. The main one I can think of is when we started, honestly, we we hadn't you're thinking about this a lot more deliberately than we did when we started. Uh we brought on a couple early employees when we we were still in startup mode. We knew we wanted to bootstrap, but I didn't at the time appreciate that like starting up to last is mutually exclusive from the normal Silicon Valley unicorn approach. I thought I could do both. And so we brought people on with those expectations. They didn't have a problem with bootstrapping or any of the things I value, but they also wanted this financial outcome, not just financial, but like high growth and the excitement and all that. They didn't come on with the right expectations. That's fair. Yeah. But they came on with expectations that you, that the organization could not deliver on. Right. But it's not that they were wrong. It's that I changed my expectations. I realized that the expectations I sold them on were unrealistic. And so I changed. So you had, um, so, so a a lack of alignment can come from unrealistic expectations, either from yourself and those changing, um, and then, or expectations that change from other stakeholders. Or just external factor. Like I was forced into changing my expectations. What was I the would external have never, factor? It was that our growth slowed down. In the early days, we were 10xing every year. And you could draw a graph that looked like we were going to be a billion dollar company. And like, as you know, 
so well. Like if, if you don't have any outside capital and all the other decisions we're making, we paying employees well, we're not charging customers very much. There, there was no way to keep that that growth up. And so we were faced with the decision of do we sell out some of our values and go after the high growth mode, or do we face reality and say we just can't grow that fast with our values? And so I decided we're gonna stick to our values here, but that it was forced upon me. I would have never had to make that decision if we just continued to grow at that pace forever. It's interesting. How often do you, as you're running the company, think about make decisions with maybe, hey, this isn't the best thing for me right now, me, Tyler, as the 50% shareholder, but it's best for the long-term sustainability of the organization? Sorry, say that again. When does the sustainability of the, I'm going to reword it. When does the sustainability of less annoying CRM over the long term become more important than your personal needs? Okay, sorry. Yeah, I've, I think I have, I mean, you can decide whether it's the right answer, but I am, I feel very confident about this answer I'm about to give, which is everyone needs an enough number. Everyone needs a number where you're like, this is the amount I need to feel like I'm taking care of myself, my family, whatever. The problem, I think, to, to go back to ranting about modern day capitalism, is nobody has an enough number. There's never an amount of money where they're like, okay, now I can shift my priorities to something else. So I'm not saying you shouldn't care about money, but for me, that number is probably whatever I would make working a different job, which let's call it a hundred and something thousand dollars a year. If I'm making that from less annoying, which I am, I'm not making more than that. I'm making roughly my market value right now. Then at that point, I think like the kind of discipline of startup to last mentality to me is you have to say, I'm going to stop treating that as a motivator. I can be greedy up until that point, And after that point, I have to have something else driving me. Yeah. And I would argue that it's very difficult to be full-time on a startup to last organization unless you have that number taken care of. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like you have to work. If that number is not taken care of, that you have to moonlight this or fund it um, via, you know, have, have some funding. Well, there's different numbers. So one is like, what are your baseline need, like cost of living? So I, for me, that number was 60,000 a year. That's the point where I left my like working for you. That was kind of like, I can sustain, but I, I'm not saving for retirement. I'm not living the life I want to live. And that, so there's at least that point. And then there's, I think, another one, which is like, now I'm, I'm making enough that any additional money wouldn't actually bring me meaningful happiness. So maybe there's two numbers. So now that you're at that number um, and you're you're thinking about what, I guess you're now thinking about what's best for the organization, is is what, what's higher priority, growing less annoying CRM or keeping less annoying CRM alive? Uh, my attitude towards this is that growth is only important as a means to an end. So almost every objective you have is going to like, let, okay, let's say our goal is I really want to, uh, I want really want to serve small businesses and have as much of an impact on small businesses, or I want to provide great jobs to people, or I want to improve the world of technology. It's hard to do any of those without growth. But you shouldn't be trying to grow for the sake of growth. You should be trying to grow because having a bigger team will allow you to achieve those other goals. That's my take on this. It sounds like they're, like a startup to last company, you're assuming, has some sort of overarching thematic, I don't know what the right word is, cause um, mm. that, that 
is driving it. And do you, you obviously, it sounds like a constraint on that is staying alive. A constraint on that is, uh, making sure that the person, the leader or the owner of the company has enough. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe there's some other constraints. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's a really interesting way to think about it. I, I would, I, w- I want to dive in a little more t- before I commit to like every startup to last company has to have some other mission. But if you do, that's great. But definitely, there are constraints of staying alive, constraints of paying yourself, a- and then you can almost think of it as like there- surplus wealth is being created beyond that. What do you want to have happen to that surplus wealth? Yeah, I guess can can a company that is a startup to last company? Here's the last question I'll ask. Can a company, this is just beginning, by the way, stepping back, this is just the beginning of a long conversation. Yeah, yeah. I I thought, I wasn't sure if we were going to get past the philosophy into like, okay, let's like actually add some structure to this. Um, We're still very much in the philosophy. What, what, um, is, how, when you have a startup to last company and you want to, you're an entrepreneur and you want to create a startup to last company, which means I'm going to focus on building it for the long term to last or whatever. Can it be driven by money? Can By can your my, personal desire to make money? I, I want unlimited wealth. I want my wealth. Let's just say I'm, I want to make as much money as I can before I die. And mm-hmm. then I want my kids to make as much money as they can before they die and their grandkids and so on. It's infinite. Measured by money. Yeah. What, what, um, is that, can that company be a startup to last company in your mind? Yes. I just think it would be a mistake. Like, I don't think that this is a good way to maximize your personal wealth. Um, but if, if that's your goal and for the, the question would be, why are you making it a startup to last company? If you can make way more money some other way, but well, if you want to, sure. So what would you like? So you, so what is, if, if that's not the right reason to do a startup to last company, what is? So for me, okay. One is I think similar to the way people might want, might be interested in starting a nonprofit. Like you want to have impact. Um, that's, well, let me back up. That's too specific. People need to have a sense of purpose. And I personally am a bit of a nihilist where I think at the end of the day, none of us actually do have purpose, but like, that doesn't mean while I'm alive, I'm not going to pretend that I do, right? It's I, I have this brain that I evolved with, and it tells me I'm supposed to have purpose, so I'll go with it. Uh, humans feel good with that, and there's different ways to pursue that purpose, but work is a good one, and especially working at a for-profit company is more sustainable than almost any other thing you can do. You can donate your time, you can start a nonprofit, you can do whatever, but that's all like, how do you sustain that? So startup to last, I think, is a really nice way to blend purpose with sustainability. Interesting. So I, I, I'm gonna. Would you have anything else to add before we move to takeaways? Well, I'm really curious. What, I, you've been asking a lot of questions. And yeah, I've been answering. So what do you think? I'm, about ready, I'm ready. Here's some of my takeaways. So I think, um, I think the startup to last company is about, and it's about extending your own personal purpose towards uh, an organization and trying to multiply your own purpose through others. And you can do this in a number of different ways. It could be for-profit. It could be non-profit. At the end of the day, though, to start up to last, you've got to have sustainability. 
it's a key function. So each thing you do has to have some further impact on your ability to have impact or, 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 or let's just call it, um, uh, multiply your own personal purpose. So, um, and then there, you know, that's basically, that's, that is the reason you start up to last. It, it has to be that the first goal with a startup to last company needs to be to, you know, to go full time so that you can replace your enough money. Meaning you have to be able the organization has to be able to pay you for whatever time you're putting in enough money where you're not worried about money anymore. That could mean that the organization is an hour a week project. In addition to a full-time job, it could mean something else, but at the end of the day, in order for it to be a start to last company, you've got to put the purpose first. And that requires not having to cut corners because you got to feed your family. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think that there is, uh, there's, it's almost like there's this concept of playing not to win, but playing for impact. I, 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 uh, I don't have the words yet, but, um, I think a lot of, uh, companies that are more about, um, let's call it, uh, exiting, they're playing with the fine, like it's, it's a finite mindset. It's, I want to win. I want to, I want to, uh, make money. I have a, a destination in this life that I want to reach. Um, it's, and then it's like, once I get there, I'm done with this thing. Um, whereas start to last is meant to, there is no end. Um, it's, it's just a question of how, how much impact can I have before this thing no longer, how, how much impact can this have and how long can I have that impact endure? And, and I just want to stay in the game as long as possible. Are you familiar with the arrival fallacy? No, I have no idea what that is. I'm, I'm, I just learned about it recently from a different podcast, so I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's something, it's basically the idea that people are almost always not satisfied by big events that they've been looking forward to. So uh, a wedding, uh, getting a promotion, graduating from school. And the reason is like, as you get closer and closer to it, you get used to how close you are and it no longer seems like the accomplishment it once did. And then you're looking forward to the next thing. And so I think that's basically the extent of it, but take that one step further. And basically no one's, you're never happy if you think that your if you think your happiness is going to come from specific milestones, you're going to be let down. You need to enjoy the journey because, well, because of the arrival fallacy, because that's never going to deliver the happiness that you think it's going to. I like that. That's an interesting concept. I think strive to last is basically a way to avoid the arrival fallacy, and mm -hmm. be, it's basically a way for you to be happy as not be happy -er than you would be if you didn't start a company on your own. It's yeah, like, it's I, almost like a absolutely. happiness project. That's all. Mm -hmm. Like starting, starting, start to last is a happiness project that protects you from people who can make you unhappy. Yeah. So maybe you can generalize it to say, if what makes you happy is having the most money possible, there is an entire industry of startups out there with advice and all that. Go to town. If something other than making the most money makes you happy, startup to last might be a good way to achieve that. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I, I want to add some meat to this. This is, this is useful. Um, this is very useful. Uh, anything else you'd add before we sign off? J just, I know you just said this, but I want to say it even stronger. Like we are going to attempt to continue refining this. Uh, probably a lot of what we said today, a year from now, we're going to look back and be like, those were the kernels of something, but we, we just like totally had not figured out how to piece this all together. So it's about adding constraints and clarity around all of this. 
we're going to go back next week to just talking about some normal business topic, but we're just going to try to keep this in the background every time to say, this is how a normal company would do it. This is how a company that's trying to last would do it. Yeah. And I would say, I want to add one more takeaway that I just thought of while you're there. It's one of the reasons I brought this topic was I wanted to make sure that I could learn some of the macro learnings that you've had trying to run less annoying CRM as a, as a quote unquote start last company. I am seeing, like I have a much I'm realizing how important the consulting on the side is mm. for me to build up a start to last company. And like it, it's giving me this energy of, man, like I'm not crazy. I know I have to do this, but I, I, this is an investment in the long-term lastingness of my happiness, uh, through whatever companies I create. And it's a good thing that I'm doing it. I it just, it's, it's actually like flipped my, my mindset on the consulting stuff on the side. Yeah. So that's interesting. So can I, I, I know we're running up against time, but can I ask you one I've done a lot of talking here about what I think startup to last means. We just assumed going into this, we're both interested in this. Like how much of what I'm saying is mirrored in what you want for your business and how much do you want something else? Uh, I think it's very aligned. I, and I, I think that most people want, I, I don't, I shouldn't project, but I think if, if you really peel back the layers, I think a lot of people want what you have. Um, I think that their bar for enough is probably different. Um mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that is really like, yes, I think I'm aligned. Um, I think, I think it's, I think it's really hard to build a startup to last. And I think, uh, if you can figure out how to make it work, it's a lifetime journey that, um, is very fulfilling. Uh, but how I think what, what's going through my head is, yeah, this is what I thought it was. There are no shortcuts. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's going to, I have to take it one day at a time as much as I can give in a day and then multi- let that multiply on top of each other. Um, and people who are more privileged, um, have a greater chance of starting up a company to last, um, versus those with less privilege. And, um, I don't know. I, I, I definitely, uh, I, I'm very aligned with what you're saying. I, I think what, what I'm taking away is, man, it's a hell of a lot harder to build a startup to last company than, I thought it was coming into this. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And it's also probably like a hell of a lot more rewarding than what a lot of people think also. I think that's right. And and it's not necessarily in terms of monetary returns. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, I'll sign us off. Uh, everyone, uh, thanks for sticking with us through that. I know I, I'm very interested in feedback on this. And if if you really hated it, please tell us because we, we, <laughs> we, uh, we enjoyed it, but we could have had it offline uh, and not recorded it. So thank you for joining. You can join the conversation on this topic and review past topics by visiting startuptolast.com. If you have questions, contact us via the website or on Twitter. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas. Um, Also, if you have a minute and are willing to, please uh, leave us a five-star review on the app of your choice. And if you leave a comment, um, we'd love to see it. And, uh, you know, hopefully it's a nice one. So, um, (laughs) but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll see you next week, Tyler. Um, You're on, you're the topic holder next week. All right. See you then.